Welcome to the Red Letter Christians podcast. Red Letter Christians gets our name from the Bibles that highlight the words of Jesus in red. And we're aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. We know that the loudest, most prominent voices representing Christianity in America haven't always been the most beautiful or the most faithful voices. And we know that the way we change the narrative is by changing the narrators. We are committed to amplifying the voices of people who are dedicated to Jesus and to justice. Hey, everybody, this is Shane Claiborne, and the show is Across the Pond. Thanks for joining me. I'm over here in the on the U.S. side of the pond, and we every week are talking about how our faith compels us to act in the world and to take action around different injustices that are happening. So we talk about a whole host of different things, but it's all centered around Jesus and centered around a vision that God did not just um, have us think about the kingdom of God as something we escape to when we die, but something we're to usher in here on earth while we live, that God's redeeming all things, all things can be made new. And so it should affect the way that we live in the world. And I love uh, the opportunity that this gives me to have some friends and people that I just love talking with. Uh, we get we get an excuse. And you're going to love the conversation today. It's with my friend John Huckins, who's been a part of Red Letter Christians for a long time. He's been a friend of mine for a long time. We've collaborated a lot on um, projects, but he's also uh, leads an organization called Global Immersion, along with several others. But uh, John, first of all, hey, buddy, thanks for being hey, here. Hey, man, glad to be here. <laughs> so before we dive into the conversation around politics, schmolitics, there's no mm -hmm. punk rock song to that. I don't know if you know that, but um, yeah. Um, tell people about Global Immersion and some of the stuff you're doing on the border, because you're not just talking about stuff, you're doing stuff. Yeah. Yeah, Global Immersion, we're a, a peacemaking training organization, and we help people of faith build tools to navigate conflict well. And uh, we trust that God's restoring all stuff, all things, but we need some, some tools on how to get there. And so mainly work with faith leaders, churches um, towards those ends. And we've been involved, we've been around for 10 years and really involved in Palestine, Israel, and also at the border. Less... Um, not just on a purely advocacy level, but on a relational level, learning from peacemakers on the ground so they can help us, the, us dominant culture folks, have some tools to, to be peacemakers in our own context. And uh, looking forward to the way, the, you know, the last couple of years with COVID, our trips, our immersion trips into those areas have had to pause. Uh, the way forward is going to be much more targeted towards, towards faith leaders to say, okay, how do we walk with you to actually live in this polarized time? with restorative tools and we do it through cohorts and what we'll we got a podcast and all sorts of different ways. We, we like to play that out. Yeah. And you mentioned the word polarized times. I don't know if you saw this recent study, but there's a study, uh, I think it was called more in common. And it says that over 80% of Democrats believe that Republicans have been brainwashed. And it says over 80% of Republicans think that Democrats have been brainwashed. <laughs> and then it yep. keeps going. But one of the things that's, that I found really troubling was that an overwhelming number of both Republicans and Democrats, folks on the left and the right, thought that there was something inherently wrong with the other. And it, and it even went as far as to say the world would be better without them. 
Yeah, that's that's a pretty dangerous place to be as as you know strongly as you and I and I think many of us feel about our convictions you know mm-hmm. about social justice issues to think that that we we might just be better off if if a, a significant portion of the population just wasn't here anymore um, is is a is a, it's it, it difficult to know what to how to be a reconciler and a voice of peace that still believes in truth right but That's and right. Uh, and I think it's been easy to kind of scapegoat a lot of that as well this was Donald Trump right mm-hmm. um, but the fact is Donald Donald Trump's gone and and these divisions still exist and a lot of Christians are trying to figure out how to navigate their love for Jesus and. There, you know, what do you do with the politics of this world? And you've done a lot of work on this. You and I have talked about um, this a, a lot. Um, and, but you, I think your language, conflicted allegiance that you've used and you've you've done a lot of research and organizing work, uh, mm-hmm. is very helpful. I think that's where a, pe- a lot of people feel, isn't it? So say a little bit more about what you mean by conflicted allegiance. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I grew up in. Uh, U.S. American evangelicalism, non-denominational, and a military family, and like many of us in that space, um, deeply loved by our families, deeply connected to the church, and deeply connected to our partisan politics, and our endorsement (laughs) of uh, international warfare. And um, come to find out there's some problems and some incongruence in that. Uh, and, And I would say over the last uh, 15 years, as I've got proximate to the people on the other side of our bombs and the other side of our partisan politics, it's forced me to reconsider not only, you know, the easy to critique vision of Christian nationalism and the ways we we associate our nation state politics with God's work in the world, um, but also say, hey, I, I can't be absent from the political systems. It, that is a privileged take to say, oh, I just follow Jesus. I don't talk about politics. That's actually... You know, um, Daniel Hill describes privilege as the ability to walk away. Mm. And someone like me has the ability to walk away from issues like immigration reform or uh, racial injustice or policing, whatever it might be, because I don't find myself impacted by those systems like so many of my sisters and brothers of color. So if 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 nationalism on the one hand is uh, is idolatry and if apolitical withdrawal is being absent from the systems and structures completely as a source of privilege, how do we engage? How do we engage yeah. politics as citizens of the kingdom of God? And this is what I use this language of conflicted allegiance. And we have to hold this tension of not placing all our hope in our nation state or our politic or even our partisan candidate. We have to place our hope in, in Jesus as king of that kingdom of God without being absent from the broken systems that are breaking our neighbors. And yeah. it, it's a, it requires a level of discernment. And I think, and this goes to your earlier point, Shane, it requires proximity to those impacted. It requires proximity to our other, uh, such that we don't begin to dehumanize and think that 80% of the people who voted differently than me are less than human. That's a proximity problem that, that creates fertile soil for, idolo- for, for our ideologies to lead us rather than our relationships, which yeah. I think ultimately uh, you know compromises that- the gospel. So good. I was the other thing that you just made me think of in that study is that that same study that I just cited, where you know over eighty percent of the people on the left think the right are crazy, and you know vice versa, is that when the people polled in this study had a someone that they are friends with that disagreed with them, it made all the difference in the world. Um, And 
you know, I, I, I think we end up in these silos uh, and, and social media kind of contributes to some of that where we are surrounded by, by people that are reinforcing all of our ideologies and we're kind of um, also in, end up with a pretty serious blind spot about, um, uh, you, you know, some of the shortcomings of our arguments or something, because we don't have yeah. someone there that's there to kind of bat ideas around with iron yeah. sharpening iron. As yeah. it, as it yeah. But, you know, um, the, the other thing that, that this survey showed was that one of the most inaccurate perceptions came from the left. It was people mm. that were really um, hardline progressive. Their perceptions of Republicans, folks on the right, was even more inaccurate than the folks mm -hmm. in the right had of the left. I mean, they were both pretty bad, but, mm -hmm. you know, uh, but, but, you know, I think that that's, we, we don't even know each other, but we're good at talking about each other. Right. And, um, and, and the work, our work should go deeper as people who are centered around Jesus, but yeah. you name this, and I want you to hear, I want to hear you say just a little bit more about it. I think people's exasperation on some of this um, leads them to do a couple of different things. One is just to tap out totally, yep. right? And say, yep. this is what happens when Christians get involved in politics. So we want nothing to do with it. We're citizens of heaven. Our, our you know, this world is not our home. Mm -hmm. So they disengage from anything, even race, you know, talks about racial injustice, all that stuff, right? Immigration, yep. this is just political, right? Of course, yep. that's what they saw, said of Dr. King too, or sure. the opposite that you go all in. Right. Yeah. And you go, no one can defend Donald Trump yeah. and the and the and the Republicans who seem really dead set on on continuing to keep their chips. in, And so you go all in with the Democrats mm -hmm. um, as if that's, you know, going to solve the problems of the world. And that that's what the early Christians seem to have such a critique of. Right. Is that we, like we should have a different posture that our we put all of our chips in with Jesus. <laughs> That's right? it. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we're not talking about the injustices. So talk a little bit about how you've seen people navigate that for better or worse, man. Yeah, I, I think what's important right out of the gate is to say that um, Christian nationalism or, or let's just call it an idolatry of the nation state that we happen to live in here in the United States. Maybe you're listening in the UK. Any nation state can become an idol and that can be held by the left and the right. That's not just a right problem, it's a left problem too. And I'm not saying it's, it's, it's equal necessarily. I think that the rise of Christian nationalism is, uh, is cultivated in much more explicit ways from the right. But what I think is important for us as followers of Jesus is to say we can all fall victim to placing our ultimate hope in our nation state. And so when it does not achieve what we want it to achieve or what we expect it to achieve, uh, we, we feel like we're just out of luck. Like we're out of hope. There's nothing left for us. And, uh, I don't think that actually is placing ourselves in a, a Christian, uh, understanding of hope that has to transcend the, the, the reality of the nation state. Um, I, I also, you know, I think about the people who, um, were the, the story of the Bible that we ground ourselves in, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the people who were writing the vast majority of this text were the people on the margins, the people on the underside of power. They couldn't put their, mm. their hope in any kind of nation state or empire. They were trying to live faithfully to the God who was calling them and moving them towards liberation. And mm. so when we associate ourselves so much with the pro, uh, with the, with those who are actually the antagonist in the biblical story, those who are holding power, we can find ourselves in precarious waters that we yeah. actually those of us that try to tend to place too much hope in the nation state, we need to listen more to those on the underside of power 
of how they're calling us to our collective liberation. Yes. Uh, and when we're left or right, when we associate too much with, with the empire, if you will, we could find ourselves in situations um, that are, are more focused on perpetuating our ideology than actually following, uh, our, following the lead of those on the margins towards liberation. Yep. And it, it's easy. It's easy to be kind of a privileged elite liberal who says the right things. And we can become just as my wife often says, if I've just become in, uh, more and more mean with the right kinds of beliefs and thoughts, then something's still wrong with my yeah. understanding of Jesus. If we're not becoming more loving, and that doesn't mean passive, that does not mean compromising convictions. Um, I think of Dayud Nasser, he's a Palestinian Christian. You probably met him, Tenth of Nations yep. in Palestine. He says, we refuse to be enemies. And he's also said, you can never be enemies with someone you've sat around the table and looked in their eye. Mm. There's something about that proximity that forces us out of our privileged, insular, kind of elite ideas and says, no, let's get the dirt under our nails and get after this together with those that are impacted by our broken systems and find our collective healing. Yeah. And as you use language like empire, you know, we, we use that too. Of course, the scripture is pretty uh, explicit about the, you know, the collisions of this world and the early Christians, you know, we, in our, our book, Jesus for president, we really kind of uh, uh, talked a lot about what is our posture towards mm. the, the, you know, governments of this world. And you can paint with a pretty broad brush, you know, I yeah. mean, I, I've said, I've said, you know, I can't imagine Jesus wearing a God bless America shirt any more than I could imagine him wearing a God bless Rome shirt, you know, yeah, yeah. but then some people go, yeah, but there's a difference, you know, yep, yep. Um, and, and there, you know, there's different forms of democracy, you know, and the government of North Korea is very different from the government of Russia or you the bet. United States, you know, and we've got all kinds of different interactions between Christians with the state, right? Yep. But, uh, I think in our particular context, that's that's the that's what we're working with, right? Is what does it mean to be Christian where I am in this yeah. time and in this place? Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, I really vibe with Dr. King on a lot of this because mm. you know Dr. King said things like, "A law cannot make you love me, but it can make it harder for you to kill me." <laughs> you yeah. know what I think? What I hear in Dr. King's voice is that. Sin is a hard issue, but it also becomes a policy issue because sin affects systems and structures and racial bias affects how we hire and it affects housing. It affects what, you know, so like, yeah, we needed God to heal racist hearts, but we also needed laws to change. So black people could vote and be honored as fully human yeah. as much as white folks and swim in the same swimming pools and stuff. Right. So yeah. like, and yet we're, you know, some would say we've come quite a ways from that now. And so what, like, you know, we're a democracy. Like I've still got my anarchistic leanings, man. My Dorothy sure. Day and my, you know, yeah. uh, Leo Tolstoy and all that stuff. So, but how 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 do you see people, you know, in a healthy way engaging, um, kind of looking for change? Because I'm looking at our government. I'm thinking, man, who? I'm glad my hope is not ultimately. Sure. In, I mean, we can't even do immigration reform. We can't get rid of assault rifles on the street. We can. Yep. I mean my yeah. gosh, you know, we, we're still using the death penalty, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, so uh, I'm trying to hope appropriately. Tell me totally. how, you're how you're navigating that. I'm right? actually glad you brought that up, Shane, because I think that the U.S. can be an easy target. And it's easy to, to, to say things even like I just did. It's easy to associate with the United States, with the empire that we read about in Rome in the first century and all that. And there's parallels. But 
I actually think it's a, the work ahead of us, especially those of us who grew up in a form of white evangelicalism that overly associated with the U.S. in this kind of empires type manner. Uh, we have to find a better way forward that actually engages the democratic uh, opportunity of living in the United States, not just to write it off as the empire, but, but to say, how do we constructively engage as citizens of the kingdom of God? Because yeah. if we don't, those systemic sins will continue to kill those on the underside. And so I think we have to think about it. Okay, no, we're part of a democratic system. What's our role in it? And, and how do we practice in there? Uh, Miguel de la Torre is a, uh, a Latino who talks about political ethics. And he talks about the need to not only read the Bible from the margins, but that the political ethic, specifically uh, learning from the Latinx experience and community, is to embrace a politic of hopelessness. Uh, so as much as we like and want to talk about hope, he says, wait a minute, when you're on the underside of power in these broken systems, don't talk to us about hope sit with us in our hopelessness. And it's there that you will feel the plight that we live in. And it's called solidarity. It's not about just giving us the charity. It's about solidarity, arm in arm. And there we can struggle in our democratic processes towards changing these broken systems. Mm. And so I think if you're listening in and you're someone like me who sits in a seat of privilege, dominant culture, white guy, uh, one invitation for us is to embrace a, a politics of hopelessness such that we can understand the gravity of these systems in the ways they impact the flourishing of those that we love or our neighbors. Woo, we're going, we're going to jump right back into it in a, in a second, y'all. But if you're just tuning in, this is Across the Pond. I'm Shane Claiborne, the host, and I'm talking with my buddy John Huckins. And we're, talk, we're navigating the, the political politically wild and charged times that we're living in. I mean, I think from the U.S. all the way across the pond in the U.K., I mean, all over the world, there's these growing pains. And I mean, some of this goes back to the Arab Spring. We've seen all kinds of stuff happening around the world, right? And there seems to be a generational thing happening too, John, right? Where older people seem to think that they're going to you know, that change is going to happen from either the left or the right. And it yep. seems like they got a lot of chips in, but I've been, I've been looking at these studies that are showing that young people are much more disappointed. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. They're looking at like the electoral college and go, what in the world? You know, they're looking at so many of these things and go, wait, we have a democracy, but you can have a majority of the votes and still lose an election. Like this stuff just doesn't make sense. Right. Yeah. And so one of those was an article in the Atlantic. I think it was, it said, how will this generation change Washington when they hate it so much? Mm. And, you know, and it also, you know, there's this, this thing that like, even though our disappointment in politicians is astronomically high, higher than it's been in a generation, the same politicians keep getting elected over and over. And mm -hmm. I, I don't know if you saw this study out of Harvard, but it said the only thing the two parties have agreed on are the rules that will keep a third party out, you know, mm -hmm. and almost every <laughs> other industry, whether it's an airline or, you know, uh, I mean, anything, another competition would arise, but we've made sure that that won't happen yep. in the United States. And so, um, you know, a, a lot of folks, whether it's because they, they just they believe in a in some form of a political revolution. Bernie Sanders sure had a lot of draw around that, right? Yep. yep. Or it's Christians that just believe that this is um, not where our ultimate hope lies, and um, and they kind of tap out on the 
kind of you know the theological level mm -hmm. um what does it look like to lean in, you know, to really think, because I'm, I'm asking this too. I mean, we're, we're yeah. trying to get Joe Biden to abolish, to demolish the federal death chamber. Seems yeah. like a pretty simple ask, right? Just tear down the building that is designed to kill people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Take a yeah, bulldozer. Yeah. I'll sign like, up for that. Yeah. 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 So anyway, but I mean, it seems so hard, you know, it's mm -hmm. very easy to open up a Guantanamo Bay, but apparently yep. really hard to close one, really easy yeah. to start war but really hard to end one so like you know uh kind of feels like the deck stack sometimes when it comes to <laughs> these things right totally i i think for those that are uh jaded by our political system just kind of maintaining the status quo and they get hope in the uh, politician then they get in power and they aren't who they say they were and then you know this this uh rise of younger folks walking away it makes sense i i think one of the first things we can do is think about where we're placing our energy. I think we need to actually spend less time trying to change the White House and more time trying to change our cities. One of the gifts of being in a democracy is that all the power doesn't exist in one place. And when we see it as a distributed uh, use of power and we leverage our influence within our own municipality, we can see change in a lot of practical ways and yeah. in a lot more accessible ways in a lot more marked ways and faster ways. And so, yes, Let's yeah. talk about the big national things. And some of us are called on that big national level to change big systemic issues that need to go through federal government. But not everyone. In fact, not the vast majority. We need to show up for the in a polling places when we need to. We need to be aware of national issues. Mm. But I think something that's going to get us to re-engage us in the democratic process as kingdom citizens is to, is to get local and mm -hmm. build those relationships with city council people and see the ways our presence and our action and our ongoing advocacy and our proximity actually can change things for those that we know the names of <laughs> and see yeah. our local taco shop every Saturday night. You know, that that's the that's the space we should start. And I think that'll begin to quench some of the hopelessness of trying to change White House all the time. Yeah, stop trying to change the White House only and change your house a little bit. Come on. All right. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I was thinking of Troy Jackson, a you know, friend of ours that he wrote about the, the kind of some of the growing pains of the civil rights movement uh, mm. and as it grew bigger than Montgomery. Right. And um, so like when the you think about what courage looks like and it, it takes a lot of different forms. Right. But the yeah. power of a courageous person and their allies and friends in the movement, you know, Rosa Parks or, um, uh, the, the, you, you know, like uh, Kaepernick or mm -hmm. uh, Bree, Bree Newsom taking down the flag, mm -hmm. you know, like all those and all the ripples that come out from that. It is pretty amazing to see what, you know, how contagious courage is. That's right. Um, but as the civil rights movement grew, you know, apparently Rosa Parks was having a really hard time financially, just, you know, making ends meet when mm -hmm. Dr. King's, you know, public career was at a high and the movement was growing. So the bigger it got, sometimes the harder it was to keep the feet on the ground, it seems like, you know, yeah. from Troy's research and others. And um, so that's, that's a, that's a challenge, I think, for us, but we got movements happening right now, like the Poor People's Campaign and yep. others that are going to be marching in DC and we're going to be there in the streets. And I, your research, John, you've been, you're doing a, a lot of like deep, digging on this mm -hmm. and say a little bit more about the mega church's relationship because it, it, there's there's folks that have massive influence yes um that don't always use it really well and i think of that verse you know to whom much is entrusted much is expected and uh yeah um, say a little bit about like what you're seeing as you're doing research on this yeah i think this is a, a demographic and i'll try to say this as quickly as possible 
um, that can be overlooked, but is um, as much, you know, you hear a lot about the religious right and the rise and the Christian coalition and all those folks that influenced politics there. Well, from 1980 to now, there's also been this massive church growth movement. The vast majority of white evangelicals have been part of in the United States, or a, a large percentage of them, that have all this influence, like you said, but aren't necessarily leveraging it for the sake of systems change uh, and those impacted by those systems. And and we can't deny the fact that that community uh, has been groomed in a um, an understanding of the good news or gospel as a personal transaction, such that anything political that might disrupt the status quo might, might make people uncomfortable, might keep people from showing up to sit in their pew or give money into those plates has neutered their ability to engage the systems and structures in such a way that actually is reflective of the kingdom of God that we say hmm. we're part of. So it, it, it's created a, a insufficient gospel uh, that's more about consumerism than it is about our prophetic and, and practical role of engaging uh, the systems and structures in, that happens to be the nation state of the United States. And, and I think we have an opportunity, you're starting to see some uh, shift language from racial reconciliation to racial injustice. Let's name what it is. Let's not just try to patch it up so we can keep things going. Mm -hmm. And uh, as we name what is, we can do better uh, about becoming who we need to become. And, it, and for those of you listening in, it also might help you list, think about the systems and churches that you're part of. What are ways that we're walking away from those issues that are actually justice issues or kingdom issues for the sake of status quo and comfort yeah. and consumption that makes us more comfortable than makes us more faithful. Woo! Well, whether you're a part of a mega church or a micro church or a house church, all of us are trying to be faithful to Jesus and know how to engage this world. And I hope this conversation has been helpful. John, how can people follow you, uh, you bet. on socials? Yeah, uh, my name, John Huckins, H-U-C-K-I-N-S on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And then Global Immersion is uh, the nonprofit organization that I co-lead. And we'd love for you to follow along there as well. And yeah, it's been a great conversation with John Huckins. You can also find a lot more about him at Red Letter Christians and follow us. Join this little movement because we love Jesus and we care about the world that Jesus created. We want to be faithful to Jesus and, and not uh, gain the whole world and lose our soul. And that's it, what a lot of people, it seems like the temptation is and always has been. So thanks for listening in, y'all. We'll see you next week. This time. Bye-bye. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Red Letter Christians podcast. Too often, Christians have used our faith as a ticket into heaven and a license to ignore the world we live in. But at Red Letter Christians, we believe our faith is not just about going to heaven when we die, but also about bringing heaven to earth while we live. For more information on Red Letter Christians and upcoming events, additional resources, you can go to the show notes or our website, redletterchristians.org. You can also support Red Letter Christians by giving a one-time donation or becoming a monthly sustainer. Just go to our website and click the red donate button. Thank you for being a part of this conversation and for being a part of this movement.